You're listening to a podcast from Catalyst Vineyard Church, Aberdeen. You can find out more about our church, as well as more talks on our website, catalyst.vin. Okay, morning all, morning, morning, morning. Fantastic to see you. Big shout out to the people on the balcony. Uh, and also to the, uh, our friends joining online. I believe our young adults are all joining us online as well as our usual online community. Great to have you with us as well. Um, just a couple of little public service announcements before I get going. Uh, oh, first of all, my name's Chuck. How rude of me. Uh, nice to see you. Uh, second one, don't be alarmed by the ball of fire in the sky. Uh, it's normal in other parts of the world, but uh, normal service will be resumed shortly, I'm sure, and we'll be back in the gloom, but just enjoy it while it's here. And then the third thing is, for the people in the room, I love the, the, the new chair layout, which is really brilliant. Just so you know, just, just as a little tip, if you're the kind of person who's like, doesn't really like it so loud, it's a bit counterintuitive, but the best place to be is at the front, especially over here, because that's behind the speakers, and so it's slightly quieter. And so just a little tip for you, that's what you like. There you go. Okay. Why don't we pray? And Lord, our commitment and our, our desire is to be a people of word and spirit. To be a people shaped by the scriptures as they've been handed down to us and a people who are pursuing the presence and power of the living God. And, and so we're so grateful for the way that you're moving amongst us by your spirit. We love it. And please don't stop now as we engage with the scriptures. And we bring our whole lives, we bring our church family to this moment, and we pray that you'd shape us by your word and your spirit. And all God's people said, Amen, Amen. Okay, well, listen, friends, we're going to crack open our Bible straight away. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 5 is where we're going to be. So if you've got the original book version, we're about five millimeters from the back. So if you start at the back and work, for, work forward, you may be um, find it quicker. 1 Peter chapter 5, it's also on the screen, reading from verse 1. This is the Apostle Peter writing to his friends. He says, To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them not because you must, but because you're willing, as God wants you to be. Not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. And that's our scripture for today. Hey, our, um, our middle son is, is uh, down in Nottingham. He's doing a gap year in Nottingham at an amazing church called Trent Vineyard. And so September passed, we, you know, we packed all of his stuff up into the boot of our car and we drove him down the road and it was totes in motion. You know, it was like really... Uh, uh, it was emotional on the way down, but I don't think there was a dry eye in the house driving back up the road. But it just so happened that the weekend that we chose to drop him off there was a really important moment in the life of Trent Vineyard Church because John and Debbie Wright, who are the national leaders of the vineyard, 
They, they had planted that church 27 years ago, more or less in their living room, and they'd led it faithfully for 27 years. And the weekend we were there was the weekend they were handing it over to uh, uh, younger leaders, you know, the kind of generation coming through. And so we managed to get an invitation to the lunch, which is brilliant, you know, and, uh, and people sat around tables and it was just one tribute after another and one kind of like speech and video and all this kind of thing. There was even a song that the guys had written for them. It was like really, really sweet. But, so anyway, I'm sat at this table and at the table is some Americans who've come over especially for this event because they've personally been impacted by the church and they wanted to come over and honour John and Debbie. And I was speaking to this guy and he was saying, do you know, we should be invited to lunches like this all the time, shouldn't we? Uh, and I, I was like, yeah, uh, I'm not sure what you mean. He, he, he said, you know, like all the time, we should be celebrating pastors who've kind of journeyed with their congregations and their church families over the decades. And, and they've walked faithfully with the Lord and with the church and, the, and they've um, you know, sought to, to lead with integrity and holiness. And as they've kind of journeyed, they've been married to the same spouse all the way through and their kids still love them and their kids love the Lord and they love them and all those kinds of things. And so, you, you know, all the time we should be celebrating people who've made it to the end in one piece. But we don't. Uh, because the truth is that loads and loads of church leaders don't get, it, get as far as the lunch. And I don't know how much you guys would be aware, perhaps if you're watching the news or whatever, but we're in this really strange season right now where things are being revealed about people. Uh, and, and it's happening in wider society. If you think about particular TV presenters or, or politicians, you discover that they're not quite who you thought they were. And the same is happening in the church, you, you know, and, and we've, we're seeing um, over and over again it, things being revealed about leaders and pastors that you just think, oh, and the tragedy and the impact of those um, situations on people is just absolutely horrific. And, and you, you know, it's not just in the wider church, but even in our own circles, you know, I can think of one or two people in our own circles who have not made it to the lunch. And, and so... We just felt as a leadership team that we should kind of begin to speak into this because, um, uh, you know, in one sense, we don't want to be the kind of people who, who sweep things under the carpet. We'd rather burn the carpet, if I'm honest. And it, and it may just be that over the last few months or perhaps a year or two, you would have had questions about what actually does accountability look like in our church context or... or how are we safeguarding people or, or how are we looking after our pastors and leaders so that they don't make it, uh, you know, so they make it to the end or, or uh, these kinds of questions. And what, you know, what exactly do the trustees do in the, the church, the CLT and, and different things like that. And so we just felt like we wanted to take a moment to explain it and, and you know, to kind of head towards the issue rather than try and hide from it. And so, I hope that's okay. Normally I try and aim to speak for exactly half an hour, and I'm usually like there or thereabouts. My track record is on YouTube for people to discuss. Uh, but, uh, I, 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 just to do this thoroughly, I will be slightly longer than that this morning, and I just wanted to warn you of that. We will all still get lunch though, so it's okay. Um, and so, first of all, let's just be, let's go, think about what does the Bible say? Because obviously we want to be basing our leadership structures in our 
our leadership thinking on the scriptures. And so what do we think the Bible says about church leadership and church governance? Well, the slightly confusing thing is that if you were to, you know, uh, ask our friends in the Episcopal Church, uh, well, the Episcopal Church, the word Episcopal comes from the Greek word Episkopos, which means bishops or overseers. And so the Episcopal Church, they do church leadership, church leadership and governance by various layers of oversight by bishops and archbishops and, and so on. Um, the Presbyterian Church, the Church of Scotland and others, well, the word Presbyterian comes from the Greek word presbyteros, which means elder. And so in the Presbyterian Church, it's really the governance and leadership of various levels of elders. So you've got the local elders and then the local presbytery, which is like a gathering of local elders, and then regional and then national gatherings of elders and so on. If you were to go to the Baptist Church, which is my kind of background, that's where I uh, first, when I first became a Christian, I went to the Baptist Church. Um, I, uh, you know, we would have talked about the, the governance of elders and then deacons. And, and the oversight or the, the kind of the accountability of the church is not so much from outside the church, it's internal. It's the members of the Baptist Church that would be um, calling the, the leadership to account. And so you, you might say, well, how is it possible that we're all reading the same book and yet we're all coming up with different models and different structures? Like, how, how does that work? Surely if you read the same book, you come out with different idea, uh, with the same idea, but we're not. And, and I want to suggest that perhaps that's because the, the Bible isn't nearly as clear as we might want it to be about some of these forms and structures and roles. So, for example, if we were to look at the passage that we read out earlier on, let's look at that. Uh, this is the Apostle Peter. He, he says, to the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings. And then he goes on to say in verse 2, be shepherds of God's flock. And the Greek word that's translated there as shepherds is the word poimen, which also is translated as pastor. So he says, be pastors of God's flock that's under your care. And then watching over them, the Greek word for people who watch over people is the Greek word episkopos, from where we get the word bishop. And so we have this same group of leaders being called, at the same time, elders, pastors, and overseers or bishops. And so these words seem to be interchangeable in the scriptures. Now you might want to say, well, hang on a minute, you're just playing word games with us here. Uh, and, and I would want to say, well, no, 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 because it happens more than once. So you could go to Acts chapter 20. Let's have that slide up. And you'll remember this is the moment where the Apostle Paul is kind of doing a fly past of Ephesus. And he calls for the leaders of the church in Ephesus to meet him at Miletus. And so it says that he sent for the elders of the church. And then he speaks to them. He says, keep watch over yourselves and all of the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Greek word episkopos, bishops, be pastors of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. So my point is, you might want to say, well, um, let's keep these three in different groups. You know, you've got a group of pastors over here, a group of elders over there, a group of bishops or overseers over there. You might want to do that. That might be a really practical way of structuring your leadership of your church. I don't think you can get that from the text. Uh, we could do a similar exercise with elders and deacons. You know, like I said, I grew up in the Baptist church. So in the Baptist church, we had a really clear understanding 
Uh, elders were the kind of spiritual oversight of the church, and the deacons had a more practical form of leadership. And so let's look at 1 Timothy chapter 3. That's where you get these two um, kinds of leadership described. And in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, Paul says, Whoever aspires to be an overseer, episkopos, bishop, not elder actually, desires a noble task. Now the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to their spouse, temperate, self-controlled, and so on. And then in verse 8, he goes on to say, In the same way, deacons are to be worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine. Now the frustration with that passage, and I've listed all of the different... Um, uh, th uh, kind of criteria that he lists there is he tells us almost nothing about what these people actually do. And actually he tells us almost nothing about what they should be good at. In fact, he owned, I've just I put one in red, able to teach. Elders should be, uh, overseers should be able to teach. But apart from that, we're given very little information about what these people do. And instead, and I think this is really important, his deep concern is not, not what these people are good at or what they can do, but who are they? Like, what kind of people are they? That seems to be his deepest concern. Are these good people? Do they, are they people of integrity and people who are pursuing holiness? And there's disappointingly few details on what skills or gifts they might have. Now, we, we might want to say, well, it's probably a thing where the elders are kind of over the deacons, or the, the deacons are serving under the elders or something like that. The problem with that is that the Greek word deacon, diakonos, which is tr the translation that's translated as deacon, um, it really just means servant or minister. And in fact, uh, the Apostle Paul calls himself a diakonos. He calls himself a servant. And in the book of Romans chapter 15, he even calls Jesus a servant or a minister or a diakonos. Some people might want to say, well, yeah, but you, the, the paradigm, the way of understanding the elders and deacons uh, is really in Acts, in the book of Acts chapter 6. Because there you have this moment where you have the apostles of the church and they are, um, they've started this feeding program and it's growing arms and legs and it's starting to get a bit chaotic because so many people want food and some people don't think they've got the right amount of food. And so it says in the book of Acts that the apostles decide amongst themselves um, let us uh, devote ourselves to the ministry of the word and to prayer and let's find somebody else to oversee the feeding program and so lots of people would say well there you go there's the paradigm you've got the elders devoting themselves to the ministry of the word and to prayer and you've got the deacons doing the practical serving at the tables the only problem is that in the book of acts it never specifically calls one group elders or the other group deacons. And in fact, there's no suggestion when they're making this decision in Acts chapter 6 that this is a, uh, a pattern that's to be repeated in every local church. Um, and the other issue is that the people who get chosen to, to look after the feeding program are people of extraordinary power. And it turns out that included in that group of people who we, we might want to say are the deacons um, are... Stephen and Philip and it goes on in the very next verse to say that Stephen is a man full of God's grace and power and that he performed great wonders and signs among the people and then in the following chapter he's killed for his preaching and then Philip turns out to be a signs and wonders guy as well 
who uh, goes around preaching the gospel is really an evangelist. And there's no sense at all that Stephen or Philip or any of the others are the kind of people who you would delegate the changing of the light bulbs to, or that, you know, let's just make sure that someone's looking after the utility bills. And so my point is it's not quite as clear. Like we might bring a certain set of assumptions to what these roles are, but the Bible doesn't dictate what these people do. Uh, another passage of scripture that's really easy to be dogmatic about, particularly in our kinds of church, is Ephesians chapter 4. In Ephesians chapter 4, you get these, this list of uh, what some people call ministry gifts, and or the four or the five-fold ministries, depending on whether you put pastor and teacher as one role or two. And so you've got this uh, verse, Ephesians 4, 11, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. And lots of people would say, there you go. You know, at its, at its heart, the, the critical, essential things that you need for leadership in the church are you need someone who's an apostle, someone who's a prophet, someone who's a pastor, teacher, someone who's an evangelist. Um, the problem with that is that often when Paul makes lists, he doesn't seem to be making a list that has a kind of a beginning and an end. And in fact, if we were to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he makes a similar list. Unfortunately, it's just slightly different. He says, now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is part of it, and God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second prophets, third teachers. That all is quite familiar, but then he goes on to say, then miracles, Greek word just power, you see power in the room, uh, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance. Actually, the word that's translated as guidance there is in many ways the most, um, uh, a word that you can most say is the word leadership in the Bible and of different kinds of tongues. And so, like my point is, I think, we, it seems to me, we would be mistaken to be too dogmatic and to try and be too dis, um, prescriptive about what the Bible isn't prescriptive about. You know, we might come to the Bible with all kinds of assumptions, but actually, I'm not sure that we can be absolutely clear what the structures were of the New Testament church. Now you might want to say, brilliant, thanks so much Chuck for deconstructing everything we thought we knew and uh, you know, I'm, I, re I recognise I've gone quite fast and quite deep so it's okay if it's just kind of like flown past you. Um, but my point isn't that we can't know anything. Because actually I think that there are, and in our church we would say there are several biblical principles that we would hold to be absolutely self-evident in the scriptures and really, really important that we should and can apply. The first thing is this. I think we can say that the Bible clearly teaches that leadership operates in teams. When we were in the book of Acts, just working our way through the book of Acts maybe a year or two ago, what we saw was that the Apostle Paul and Barnabas and others, they travelled around different cities preaching the gospel, leading people to faith, and then forming them into church communities. And then as they did that, it says in Acts chapter 14, verse 23, that he went around appointing elders in every place. Elders plural. And actually, you always see that. You never see an individual person leading a church. You, you know, often actually what, you, what it, it seems to me is you, you do see um, perhaps someone who's like the primary leader of a church, 
but they always operate in teams. So, for example, you see the, the Apostle James seems to be the primary leader of the church in Jerusalem. Or at one point, um, Timothy seems to be the primary leader of the church in Ephesus. I would want to argue that Phoebe seems to be the primary leader of the church in Kenkriar in Romans chapter 16. But my point is, even though there seems to be primary leaders in some places, you never, ever, 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 ever see a, um, someone leading a church by themselves. Biblical leadership always operates within healthy leadership communities. That's the first thing. The second thing is that leadership is expressed in difference. You can see the writers of the New Testament trying to describe what this new thing is. It didn't, you know, the church didn't previously exist and now it does and there are particular people who are leading it. And so they're drawing on all kinds of Greek words of the time to describe what these people do. And so you've got one word which means the pilot of a ship, you know, someone who is responsible for taking the ship out of the harbour or bringing it safely into the harbour. You've got people who are architects. You've got teachers and shepherds, pastors, um, uh, and uh, people who are good at administration or organisational gifts, people who are um, setting oversight and all these kinds of things. So you've got masses of different words to describe the kinds of leaders that there are in the New Testament. And isn't it amazing how, given the biblical vision for like a kaleidoscope of all kinds of different skills and gifts and abilities that people bring, their personality types in the sense that they bring to leadership within the church, that so often in the church, when we want to advertise, you know, in a, in a magazine somewhere for a pastor for the church, we're advertising for someone who's like superhuman because they've got all of the different leadership gifts in their one superhuman body. You know, so we're looking for someone who's a great preacher, teacher, evangelist, pastor, uh, bookkeeper, administrator, uh, great with kids, you know, uh, brilliant counselling people for their marriages, and, and so you go on. Isn't it so strange when the biblical vision for leadership is a team that's made up of all kinds of different people? Thirdly, leadership is locally responsible and externally accountable. It's really clear, like I said, that, that the Apostle Paul appointed elders in every place. But what doesn't happen next is they don't say, brilliant, thanks so much, Apostle Paul, we're now going to roll a big rock up against the front door. No one, you can't visit, no one else can visit because we're responsible now for our church. In fact, the opposite is true. You know, we only have many of the New Testament letters because people wrote to Paul and said, could you just give us some advice from an external point of view? Like, we're just wrestling away with a particular issue here. We can't come to a conclusion or we think we might have gone off course. Could you just say what you think? At one point, you see them wrestling for so long that they send a delegation to the church in Jerusalem. Like, could you just help us? We just can't come to an agreement here. And you see the Apostle Paul and others, you know, the Apostle John, Silas, Apollos, all these guys coming into local churches and just bringing their perspective and helping them to stay healthy. So uh, leaders of churches inviting outside help and scrutiny and advice isn't like them not kind of like almost trying to bail on their responsibility, it's the very opposite. It's local leaders saying, hey, we want to be really responsible and we can see how we could kind of go off course here, get confused or get stale or, or you know, veer off into some kind of heresy. And so we need outside people from an independent point of view to advise us on how we should be going ahead. 
And then the final principle that I would say that we see clearly in the Bible is that leadership is both male and female. That's a whole sermon series in itself. I'm conscious of that. And so just to say, I did a teaching series called Women in Leadership several years ago and it's available on our website. You just go to talks and then playlists and just scroll through the, pre the playlist, you'll find one called Women in Leadership. But it's enough to just say right now that I think what we see in the New Testament is, um, in fact, even on the day of Pentecost, you know, the Holy Spirit is poured out on everyone, male and female. And so they're like, what on earth is happening here? And the way that they interpret what's happening is by looking at the Old Testament prophet Joel, who says, uh, quoting the Lord speaking to him, saying, I'll pour out my spirit on all people. Uh, your sons and daughters will prophesy, both male and female will prophesy. It's what it says in Acts chapter 2. And following on from that, you can see the Apostle Paul saying, gosh, really, so all social barriers have been broken down. You see that in, in Galatians chapter 3. You know, uh, there's no longer male or female, Jew or Greek, and all, all these kinds of things. And so, uh, by the time you get to Romans chapter 16, what you have is this incredible piece of literature that you would almost not see in any other ancient literature of the time, which is uh, clearly men and women leading churches together in a beautiful countercultural way. Phoebe, Priscilla and Aquila, Mary, Andronicus and Junia, Tryphena and Tryphosa, Pers Persis and Rufus, and so the list goes on. And so let me say what I've said many times before. We don't only have women leading in our church by accident. Like, oh no, how did that happen? Or we don't only have women leading in our church because we can't find enough godly men. We're doing it on purpose. Like it's deliberate. It's based on a, a, a conviction we have about what the scriptures teach. And again, if you want to uh, look more into that, feel free to, to listen to those talks on the website. So, what we're seeking to do in our church, really, is to apply those four biblical principles in a, in a kind of pragmatic way to how our leadership operates. And the way that we do that is that we have essentially four overlapping teams of leaders that between us we might want to call the Catalyst Leadership Community or something like that. So let's have that next slide, please. The first team that we have is the trustees. We have six trustees, each of them bringing their wisdom, their experience, their expertise to help us to steward all the resources that we have. And to, you know, somebody once said the role of a church trustee is to keep the pastors out of prison and keep them out of the papers. But I think probably there's a lot more to it than that. Um, but that is part of it. Uh, and uh, in all sincerity and seriousness, you know, we, we have now, as I said several weeks ago, we have an income of well over a million pounds a year. We own four different buildings. We have something like 35 staff, uh, which works out at 16 or 17 full-time equivalents. But, you know, like, there's a lot of things to be concerned about. And so I'm delighted to just commend those trustees to you. Let's have a list of who they are, just so that you know. So Jim Purdy, many of you will know, is the, he's the chairman. Important to say, by the way, uh, I'm not the leader of that team. Uh, Simon Glazier, uh, a few years ago, was Chartered Financial Planner of the Year, and so, you know, he, he, that's kind of a big deal. He knows about numbers, so he's a good person to have as a treasurer. 
Nikki McKibben is a solicitor in Aberdeen. Uh, Natasha Robinson is a, uh, she's an educational psychologist, and so she does safeguarding all day, every day at her work, so that's why it's brilliant that she actually does safeguarding. Ian Ferguson uh, is responsible for a lot of drilling in the North Sea for a well-known oil company, and then I uh, bring a perspective from the pastoral team, and so together, that's the team. And let me just say, these aren't just like, I mean, I was gonna say they aren't just geeks. Um, they, they, they are experts in their field, but also I want you to know that these are extraordinarily kind people and prayerful people and people of faith. And we've been on a journey over many years and we're super grateful for you. The second team is the pastoral team. And God has blessed us with an amazing group of incredibly gifted and godly pastors. Uh, remembering that the New Testament, in the New Testament, the word pastor, elder, and overseer are all kind of the same thing. Um, every site has their own pastors who care for the flock in their local family so beautifully, and they're kind of burning with passion and love for the church. Um, and, and in every site, those pastors, those site pastors, work with key leaders. So there there's this kind of a leadership community that's forming of volunteer leaders. We actually have hundreds and hundreds of people carrying some kind of leadership responsibility within our church, and we're super grateful for every single one of them. Um, as well as having those site pastors, we also have a bunch of other pastors who are kind of working not in one local site, but across the church. Uh, and so we have, for example, Andy Reid, who's our worship pastor, who's responsible for facilitating and resourcing the worship in every site. And we have the same for kids and youth, students, compassion ministry, and so on. And uh, all of them carrying lots of weight in terms of responsibility, and we're very grateful, very grateful for them. And so you might want to ask, well, what are you doing to look after them? And so let me just talk about some of those things. You know, we, we really want to make sure that our pastors are living in a healthy and sustainable way. So, for example, we hold them to account for whether or, whether or not they're taking a Sabbath every week. And in fact, every year we have a, an annual appraisal, and all of our staff have annual appraisals, and in that we're asking questions about, are you eating healthily, are you sleeping well, are you exercising uh, sufficiently, all these kinds of things, because we want to make sure that we're looking after the whole person and not just what they can produce for us. Um, about once every month or every six weeks, we have a session in our staff meeting called Invest, where we bring in someone to speak into that kind of stuff. And so we had Hazel Findlater, some of you will know, she came and took all of our blood pressure and then uh, talked to us about reducing our salt intake and all these kinds of things. It turned out that some of our staff team had a, a properly high blood pressure and they were packed off to the doctors. But, you know, We've, we've had sessions on personal finance, we've had sessions on pensions, uh, as, as well as how do you lead well for the long haul and all these kinds of things. Every week our pastors meet together uh, on a Monday and then also on a Thursday, and then about once every six weeks or so, all of our pastors come and have dinner at our house. And so this is a highly relational um, situation where we're all watching out for each other. Um, uh, Another thing to say is, I don't know, we don't often talk about this, but Taryn and I work part-time. And so we work three days a week for this church, uh, and we also work two days a week for the Vineyard movement that we're part of. And so uh, we're supported in the way that we oversee the, the, the uh, pastoral leadership 
by a, a smaller group of senior pastors uh, that we're super grateful for. And so let's just have that list up. So we've never really talked about this before because it's kind of just how we uh, lead our team. But, but Scott Robertson, as well as being the site pastor for the Aberdeen North site, he also oversees all of the other site pastors. And Tammy, who's the Ellen site pastor, she also oversees youth, kids, worship, students, and connect groups and so on. Hazel, who uh, lots of you will know, she is uh, our pastor in charge of core support, which is all of their admin and finance and all of those kinds of things. And then our very own James Juice helps to support our teaching team. And so that team also meets every week, uh, actually without family and I, and they help to kind of keep the show on the road and make sure our pastors feel well supported. That's the pastoral team. Uh, the, the next team is the wider vineyard family. For uh, more than eight years, actually, we've been part of the vineyard movement, which is a, a, a family of about two and a half thousand churches in a hundred different countries around the world. And we are extraordinarily grateful for their support. It, it, you know, it actually frightens me to think that for a long time it was just us by ourselves. Because of the amount of support and the encouragement and also scrutiny that we've had from outside the churches in that way has been incredibly helpful. Now the way that the vineyard operates is that every church finds itself within an area of churches, which is a group of about half a dozen churches, and then the areas are clustered together into regions. Now, to be totally transparent, Taryn and I are the regional leaders. And so we oversee the region of Scotland, and then within that we have area leaders reporting to us. And so you might think, well, how does that work? If, you're, if you are the law, if you are, you know, then how, who's overseeing you? And the answer to that question is, Andrew and Rosie McNeil are the Associate National Directors, and they oversee all of the regional leaders. Um, you might want to say, well, how does that actually work? Like, what does that look like in practice for us to have outside scrutiny? Well, let me just give you a couple of examples. You know, like I said, all of our staff team have annual appraisals. And Taryn and I, we're like, we, we want to have an annual appraisal. We want to make sure that we don't have blind spots in the way that we're leaving. And so we asked Andrew and Rosie McNeil to come and work with Hazel from our team to do a, a, an annual appraisal for us. So a whole bunch of the people who work closely with us filled in anonymous forms to say, this is what it's like being on the receiving end of Chuck or Taryn. And then, um, Andrew and Rosa compiled all those things into a list and they gave that we had a meeting with them and they fed back to us, which was incredibly helpful. And, and there were some things that we learned that we didn't know. And so it was absolutely worth doing. Another example would be when the revelations about Mike Pinavachi came out uh, in kind of March of it last year, to, to be honest, uh, it was ex extremely traumatic and, and distressing for us personally. And, and, you know, Mike's been a friend of ours for 25 years, and so we were deeply shocked, and, and we're, it was like, what, what do we do with that? And part of the thing was, oh my goodness, have we unwittingly taken on uh, aspects of his leadership into our own leadership and not been aware of it? Would there be ways that we have been leading that would be unhealthy that we wouldn't know? And so we asked Andrew and Rosie, would you come, would you kind of interrogate our team, and would you find out? And so they came up, they met with as many staff as they could for 15 or 20 minutes at a time, which turned out to be uh, about half of the team on a particular day. And then they, they fed back to us a whole bunch of things, like here's what's going well, and here's some things that you need to watch out for. I'm pleased to say that there weren't any 
hairs below the waterline. Um, but there were some things that we could learn, so that was incredibly helpful, and we're really, really glad that we did that. Uh, as well as all of those things, you guys will have seen a whole bunch of other vineyard people come through the church over the last few years uh, to speak at conferences or whatever, and we always make it a point to meet with them at the end of their time and say, well, what do you see? Um, is there any feedback you want to give us? What can we learn from you? And we found that incredibly helpful. Okay. And then the final thing as I'm coming into land is the CLT. For as long as Harry and I have been leading this church, which is now 16 years, we have had this team called the CLT. And in fact, the CLT was present way before us. And it's had, those words, those um, letters, CLT, have meant different things over the time. You know? So I think it was originally core leadership team, and then for most of the time it's been church leadership team. And um, the truth is, when we started leading the church, there was an actual technical point where I was the only member of staff, and I was certainly the only paid pastor. And so that leadership team really was the leadership team of the church. So we used to talk about who's going to lead the small groups, and you know what do we do with that particularly difficult situation, and the photocopying contract, and you know should we change electricity suppliers, and all these kinds of things. And we used to meet every two weeks on a Tuesday night. And of course, over time, as the church has grown and um, we, we've had uh, the exposure to the vineyard as well as our own team internally growing and the local sites becoming more established in their own leadership, that particular team has kind of been zooming out over time. And so we've probably been meeting every four to six weeks, something like that, for the last number of years and talking about the highest level of where we're going, what's God saying, those kinds of things things. And, and if we're totally honest, in the last probably year or two, especially during COVID, we started to look each other in the eye as a team and say, this feels like it's drifting a little bit. So we had a number of conversations about what the purpose of the team was, have we got the right people in the room, all those kinds of things. And in one sense, like no, honestly, no one has ever asked me in 16 years, what does that team do? Uh, or who's in it? Um, but but we would be uncomfortable with allowing it to drift and not being really transparent and clear about what that team is. And so I wanted to let you know today that we're making two significant changes to that team. The first thing is, we just recognise as a group that the, the words church leadership team are not really fully accurate. There's loads of leadership happening that isn't in that room. And uh, that team is more like a kind of discerning group. Like, what is God saying? Where are we going? Those kinds of things. And so we're going to change the name of it. We're going to call it instead the Church Council. And we're getting that language from Acts chapter 15, where they're, dis you know, they're, they're trying to discern the will of God together, and so they get all the leaders into a room, and they try and discern together what, what they should do. And so we're going to call it the Church Council from now on. The second change we're going to make to it is we're going to double its size. And we have a real sense that, that because discernment is so important, we want to make sure that we've got a whole bunch of different kind of people in the room to hear God together. And uh, one of the other things that happened during COVID, of course, was George Floyd. And, uh, you, you know, that was obviously a traumatic time for many people in our church and beyond. And we realised to our shame that, that actually all of the leadership structures in our church were really, really white. And 
we have a vision as a church for the kinds of um, leadership, or just to, to be the kind of church that is um, diverse in every sense. You know, we want to be a church where there's representatives from every tribe and tongue and nation, because that's the kind of church that we're going to be when we meet Jesus face to face. Um, and so we, uh, I want to introduce you to the new team. So the first seven people on this uh, on these slides are the original seven people who've been made basically the same seven people for the whole time that we've been leading the church. So me and Taryn, Mike and Emma Waldridge, David Chernside, Caroline Conley, Van Beha, and James Juice. And we're adding to it Tori Juice uh, because of her remarkable prophetic gifting. TK Delapo of this parish. Uh, Originally uh, from Nigeria, we love them. They've been part of our church for many years, and just demonstrated over and over again their integrity and their faithfulness and their prayerfulness and so on. Delighted to have them on the team. Viji and Jotsna, who are Indian, uh, but been part of our church for many years in the North Side, and also Scott and Sarah Robinson. And we believe that that team uh, is a good starting point. You know, there may well be others that we add to it over time. It's not the finishing point, but we just think that's a great team of people who will help us to discern the will of God together. So those four teams, overlapping together, form the basis of our leadership community as a church. Let's have the next slide if we can. And we believe that those fulfill the biblical criteria and, and principles of leadership and, and will help us to lead healthily for the long haul and help us to all get towards the lunch that we're hoping to have in like 20 years' time. Let me just finish by saying this. If you have a concern about anyone in leadership in our church, especially me and Taryn, we want to hear it. What we want to avoid is getting almost to the lunch and then at the last minute, someone's saying, something happened to me 20 years ago and I never said anything at the time. So like, I, I just want to say this. We understand the dynamics at play here. We understand that even though Matthew 18 would suggest that we should go directly to the person and confront them. Sometimes that's really difficult because of the, the power differentials and so on. But we would just want to raise it to anyone. So the question, who would I go to if I had a concern about Chuck and Taryn or anyone else in leadership in our church? The answer is anyone in any of those teams. Now you might not know many of the people in those teams, and so you could contact the church office. You could say, can I please be put in contact with the chairman of the trustees, or with one of the other pastors, or whatever it is. Please would you do that? It's really important. We, we would want you to do that. And we're praying that the Lord will protect us as a church. We don't want to have any scandals. We don't want to have any dramas. We just want to kind of shepherd the flock that's under our care and make it to the end in one piece and have a lunch. Why don't we stand?